guys. You're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly gimme radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. Hello and thanks for joining us again this week for a brand new episode of Metal Matters. This week, we've got Bobby Ferry from the band 16, who have a new record out on Relapse Records called Dream Squasher. 16 have been around for a really long time. They've been through a bunch of different ups and downs, different eras of music. And the one consistent thing is that they keep putting out awesome music for their 20 plus year career. So uh, Bobby's a good guy. Our bands have toured together and um, I consider him to be a friend and um, I look forward to our more or less uh, informal chat. So here we go. How has this whole thing affected the operation of the band? If at all, uh, you know, uh, I mean, just like you, platoons, we had a tour pending. I mean, we had like a good two weeks of today's the day and their album release. So it was, you know, we, I mean, our tour was canceled like three days before it happened oh, when man. it all started to really hit the fan. Um, so it's a hit because, you know, we, I mean, we're not a, big band on the internet we don't do big streaming numbers uh i don't really care about mail ordering shit to people uh, you know i do it but i don't advertise it to be honest with you uh you know if they, they could buy it through the label uh merch so you know we, we're left with a few but again we're left with a few boxes of merch and uh you know some lost some lost revenue and lost good times but, uh, you know, we've been doing this for like, what, 28 years or something. And, you know, long view, it's, we'll be fine. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I see online, like all the tours that got canceled, like, you know, for example, this Napalm Death tour that got canceled that we were supposed to be on, the Mayhem. And what, what comes to mind immediately is that gigantic merch bill that has to probably, probably be paid back to whoever printed up their merch. And uh, yep. that's why there's these bargain basement sales that you see online, like, you know, and uh, that that's got to be rough, man. But uh, like, you know, hopefully glad, you know, gladly you guys didn't have anything like that. Right. You know, I, I always like to tour with minimal merch and then order more if we have to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and because there's, you know, there's, a, there's good people in almost every city major city that'll do merch for you huh. so you know i mean if, if we might have lost i mean in fact i don't even think we lost it because we still have the merch and it's not like we're not going to go on tour again true you know <laughs> black t-shirts black t-shirts are going to sell just keep the keep the damn cat off them and that's cool <laughs> so. you mentioned that you've been doing this for 20 almost 30 years really uh yeah you know, one of the burning questions I've always had ever since I found out about you guys and, you know, you, we went on that tour together and you and I have been friends for a number of years now at this point is how did you guys come up with the name 16? Like what, what was, why not 17 or 18? You know, like I, I've always um, wondered why the fuck you guys call yourself 16. So the, the, the real story is first of all, 
we started this band when we were like 17 or 18 years old. So we're old, but we're not as old as some guys in newer bands, you know? Yeah. I, I meet people in newer bands and I'm like, shit, dude, you're older than me, <laughs> you know? So we started when we were super young and we were all into skateboarding and there was a pro skateboarder that we used to hang out with named Mark Gonzalez. He's a real famous artist now. And uh, he used to write on his boards, on his grip tape, Team 15. Oh. Like spelled out, 15. Yeah. And so so we get together, uh, you know, uh, the drummer time, uh, won like $600 on a slot machine. And we wrote these songs and we're like, we're going to go record. We don't have a name for our band or anything. And so we're like, let's call ourselves 15 after what Mark Gonzalez writes on his, uh, on his grip tape of the skateboard. That, and we idolized Mark Gonzalez, you, you know, around Huntington Beach and all these areas that we hang around with and we knew him. So we're like, yeah, we're going to call ourselves 15, spell it out, 15. We make these seven inches, double seven inch, you know, we're getting ready to send them to maximum rock and roll. And we go to Vinyl Solution <laughs> in Huntington Beach. And uh, Vinyl, Vinyl Solutions record store is still there. And the guy uh, who owns Final Solution, he's like, you know, what's up, boys? What's up, kids? And we're like, hey, we got our seven inch. We want to, you know, we play it, we buy it. And he listens to it and he's like, this is awesome. But there's already a band called 15 yeah. from, uh, from Berkeley. Yeah, the Bay Area. So, yep. Yeah, so go home and make new covers. <laughs> and we're like, okay. <laughs> and then it was just a joke that, well, we're 16, you know? And that's, that's the real story. It's just like, well, that's stupid. There's no fucking meaning to any of it. And if, you know, people are like, why'd you name it that way? Well, that's the reason why, but it's like, if I would have known it was so hard to Google or search, first of all, if I would have foreseen Google, I would have started a fucking band. So there's that, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, it's not an ideal name, but it's, it's, what we've we've built onto it for so long. So that's yeah, that, a real story. Just just a big happy accident. That's a good no one, though. Man. I I had a I suspected yeah. it might have been something similar to that. Um, you know, and that that band fifteen is way different than you guys, man. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we never even listened to, I, to this day. I don't think I've ever listened to them, even though that. I mean, we actually our first quote unquote demo tape that we gave people on the first seven inch says fifteen on it. Wow. Totally, totally embarrassing. You know, we did, it was just total ignorance. And uh, the guy at Final Solutions like, bring it back and I'll buy it. You know, and then we just called it 16. We sent it to Flipside, Maximum Rock and Roll. And then, then Pusshead ended up writing to us and wanted to do a record. And, you know, they're, you yeah, know that, it was all just a big lucky thing. That band was like a typical uh, Lookout Records kind of thing. And I think I found out about them uh like for like six months, I, I was uh, into pop punk, you know, in the 90s. And it was like, I think that like. <laughs> for, for exactly six months. Yeah, I was like, you know, I, I was trying to like hang out with girls and stuff. And, you know, and, and I was trying to like, oh, yeah, man, I like a veil. And, you know, I, I'm like, uh, I have a backpack and all this stuff. And check me out with my like Lookout Records um, catalog. And I'd had a couple of those <laughs> records and the 15 record was one of the ones I got. There was like a discography and, 
And uh, yeah, you know, it's it's it, if you like that kind of stuff, it's cool. But it wasn't really for me either, you know. And uh, yeah, I always wondered why you guys came up with that name. But like you said, you know, several decades later, it means something completely different. It means like heavy, negative, brutal music, you know, with like a very sketchy kind of vibe to it. Which is what I when I when you say sixteen, that's what I think of. That then we've done our 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 marketing job properly. Yeah, man. that's where we're going. <laughs> At the time we're talking right now, the new album is still on pre-order, I believe. So when does has has the release date of that new record uh, been affected by any of this foolishness that's going on? No, uh, you know we we were given the opportunity to to push it back or whatever. But let's just I think this is an opportune time to connect with people suffering basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's like, I, I don't think, uh, touring release is like mutually exclusive. Like we're, our timing is always off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I very rarely timed it. So we're on the road, but I got a release. Um, so, you know, I'm not too concerned with the, the cycle, but, uh, it comes out June 4th. We have uh, two singles out already. Um, me and the dog die together. About killing yourself if your dog dies. Uh, just you know, we were deep thinkers. And then uh, the first one, Candy in Spanish. Uh, we were calling it Dulce at first, but that's just kind of weird. Uh, and then we have a no, like a, uh, I don't know, you know, this uh, director, Michael Panduro, is, we've wanted to work with him for a long time. Uh, so he has our next, quote-unquote, single, uh, a, a song called Sadland, that he's going to direct the video, and it'll be released uh, June 4th, oh, cool. along with the record and pre-orders and all that good stuff. Yeah, because you have a video that's uh, out, that got released a few weeks ago, I think. Uh, I've seen it, and I don't know when it officially came out, but that video's been making its rounds. It was uh, posted on Decibel, I think. Yeah, that's the me and the dog guy yep. together. We, we had another idea for that. Uh, we had this friend. Um, I don't know if you're... There's this... used to be this... You know, San Diego's got quite the history for punk rock yeah. uh, and, indie, you know, indie rock and stuff. And so our friend Ryan uh, was the singer of this legendary band from here called Fishwife. Uh, and, you know, they played with, uh, you know, Drive Like Jehu and Rocket to the Crip and all that whole scene back in the early 90s. And he's just kind of a local legend. He's this hilarious guy that's a doorman at like four clubs. So we wanted to get like 10 dogs. And he has this vintage Lincoln Town car. And, you know, he's, he's kind of a weirdo guy. And we wanted to just film him driving around with like 10 dogs, rocking out to our song. Uh, and, uh, you know, we couldn't do that. So we went on the uh, the Russian space dog found footage tip for that video. Yeah, no, it's cool. Definitely. I, uh, you know, is there any sort of concept behind this thing with dogs? Um, well, the, the song itself, was, we've been playing it live for like three years. Uh, you know, the chorus is me and the dog die together. And it, it's just, you know, uh, you know, it's creatively, uh, you, you maybe want to be aspirational and think about things uh, above yourself, or sometimes you just want to look at the floor and there's your dog. Yeah. So 
you know, uh, I don't, lyrically, I don't think we wanted to stretch out too far into the, the realms of whatever. It's like, look at the dog, <laughs> basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's been look a how cool the dog is. <laughs> There's been a couple of lineup. I mean, actually, 16 is no stranger to lineup changes. However, recently, uh, Chris, or I don't know how recently, but he's no longer in the band, and you're you're the lead singer now. I know. Check me out. Yeah, that's um, how. How do you find well, that? Are you enjoying it? I've been, uh, I've been, you know, I've been singing backup for a number of years, you know, and on a couple songs. So it, it's something within my abilities. Uh, you know, Chris is just kind of over it. Uh, he's tired. He wants to work. He doesn't, you know, he, he put in a long time. Um, so no, no, like, no real drama or anything. And you kind of have this unspoken thing. It's like, man, if you want to like, quit the band or you don't want to contribute, you know, we don't need to know why. The reasons why is, is up to you, you know? So it, it's not like there was any falling out. I mean, he's, he's still our brother that we had, you know, all these crazy adventures with. Uh, and, you know, I sing, I sing his lyrics on the old songs. Uh, he's always an excellent lyricist. Um, but it was just like, you know, I'm, I'm the dude who's doing it in practice anyway. So I might as well try to do this. And, you know, it took a couple weeks to hammer it out and then we hit the studio and I, you know, it was just kind of easy. It's, you know, it's, I like to say it's, it's a, it's a band. It's not a cure for cancer, but like, there's no reason to take everything so seriously. Let's just keep rising to the occasion. Yeah. It's definitely difficult keeping a lineup together, man. I know that more than anybody too. Uh, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> I bet you got, you know, there's been a lot of people in and out of my band, a lot of people in and out of your band, but there was a, there was a period of time where actually you weren't even in the band. That I've played on all the records. So all, all the records have my input. Yeah. But yeah, there was a time in like for our, our album called Zola Smile that none of the original members were in it. It was like another group of guys playing these songs across the country going on tour. You know, they went to Japan with Unstained. It was uh, Phil Vera, who plays in Despise You and Trappist. And he played on our album, uh, Zola Smile, and our album, uh, Blaze of Incompetence. So Phil's already wrote some of our, like, you know, like our main songs that we still play live anyway. Uh, and him, a guy named Mark Sanger, who's a drummer at the point, who, you know, we're also friends with these guys. And uh, Rafa from the band Acid King and uh, from Black Cobra. And uh, I had left the band because I got a job here in San Diego. Uh, and so I couldn't, I had, you know, some job. I had a kid coming, so I definitely couldn't tour. You know, I had a pregnant wife and I was like 30 years old or 28 or something and, you know, hanging on by a thread. So they're like, we're going to go on tour, we're going to do this. I'm like, well, okay, then I step out. But it's just kind of this thing. It's almost like I think of this band as this thing that these group of friends do that, you know, one of us inherits it and it's just like, well, I've inherited it now. So. That's actually pretty cool. So it's like this collective kind of a uh, thing and 
you know, there's like uh, people that come move in and out and, you know, because I mean, I, I, I wonder if Chris actually will end up being with, playing with you guys at some point again in the future or is he 100% out? Uh, you know, this, I, I think with, with Chris being just a vocalist uh, and not a vocalist guitarist, he puts more on himself physically and we're not getting any younger. So I think there's a, you know, there's a health, there's health reasons too. Like, you know, I don't want him to keel over with a stroke on stage or anything. Right on. Uh, you know, based on his blood vessel size on his skull. Um, but with Chris, you never question his sincerity. You know, and he'll he'll bleed for it for sure. It's awesome. But uh, I always say, you know, the door is open for anyone. You know, I mean, we're cool like that. You want to you want to come back? You can come back. You know, but if I, like I said, you know, we just kind of follow who had the creative spark for each album. And for this album, it was our guitarist, uh, Alex. I don't think he's met him, but he's an awesome guy. Um, and, you know, he's just super hyped on, on riffs. So he wrote a bunch of great riffs and it fit better to my vocal style. So we just kind of, Lennon, Lennon McCarthy did, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what comes to mind. I just now, but what popped into my head was like, uh, I don't know, like back in 98 or something like that. My old band played with you guys. We were on tour with, um, with, uh, playing enemy, the, the ex kiss a goodbye band. And, uh, we played yeah. at, uh, the PCH club with you guys. And, uh, I remember you guys rolled up. It was like right before the show started, you know, and you guys come in and, and Chris was like this terrifying looking dude. I remember I was like, I have to keep my eye on this guy, man. He looks, he looks like trouble, you know? <laughs> no, you know, we're all nice. That was what's funny is that we pulled up because that venue, the PCH club was like, we all lived in Long Beach at the time. And most of us did. So we all live like two minutes from there, yeah. three minutes from there. And just, it was just used to be hell then, you know, but we thought, you know, we thought we were cool living <laughs> in shitty areas, but, but we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That place was cool, man. The PCH club. I, w I wonder if it's like a, a parking lot now or something. Uh, dude, that's in the shadow of that oil refinery. Talk about hell. I mean, that's like, a, you know, it's a, it's a rugged area of Long Beach. It was definitely rugged back then. Back then, it was gnarly, uh, you know. Um, it, it, actually, I drove by there. I, I don't think it's a parking lot, but it's some kind of warehouse now. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably, it's yeah. It, it definitely ain't condos, though. <laughs> they ain't doing no fucking condos. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it's probably better served as a warehouse than a rock venue, really. <laughs> you know, do you miss those? Uh, I mean, in Europe they still have them, but these kind of outlaw venues that are just—they—they they were just the shit back then. It was just like this is just you know, this place has no permits. It's a warehouse. There's no stage. Yet, you know, a couple hundred people would show up and rock out. Um, 
and maybe these still go on and I'm just out of the loop. I don't know. I, I miss, let's put it this way. At the current phase of my life, I don't have any desire to go to shows that places like that anymore. However, I miss being like 27 years old and like, you know, playing, playing shows at places like that. And, uh, going to shows like that because um like not too long ago actually i went to go see this band called bloody minded at this uh place in uh in bushwick at uh and i used to go to this same venue like years ago and i saw bands like hell shock play there and selfish and there was like that one year when all these like japanese hardcore bands came over and um Ben from uh, Drop Dead was the guy who drove him around. And, and there was one particular loft in this building that all those shows happened at. And I used to go to this one particular place all the time. But that was like 15 years ago. That was a long time ago. And I went, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I, some of my friends play in that band. And, and I went into the same building. And I was like, what the fuck, man? It's like puke on the floor, broken bottles everywhere. Like people that aren't even like involved with the show like hanging around and like you know what i mean like people that were just there like hanging out drinking beer you know doing some kind of drugs and stuff like that and um you know i went in to check it out and it was just like i don't don't really miss this man it's like (laughs) you know it's like i'd rather go see a band at a stage and the funny thing is that same night I had actually been at a rock venue. I went to go see uh, Watain and Morbid Angel and Incantation. And, um, you know, proper venue, sound system, you can see everything. And then uh, after that show, I went out to this fucking warehouse in the middle of nowhere next to, like, this uh, strip club called Pumps, which is, like, kind of like a spot out in in Bushwick. I believe there's practice spaces above the strip club. And... um, and, uh, you know, it was like one o'clock in the morning or something like that. And I was like, oh, man, check me out. I'm like out late, you know, fucking creeping around yeah, yeah. the neighborhood. You know, and it's like, and I was like, when I left, I was like, man, what the fuck? Like that, you know, it was fun. But I was like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm really into doing this kind of thing that much anymore, you know. <laughs> I, I think like when, uh, you know, you're on a tour and it'll it'll spoil you. You know, you'll play a great night at a a club and then the next i mean I, it was maybe a couple tours ago we played a basement in france that had no bathroom so they just put a toilet seat on a, a trash can full of leaves <laughs> damn and then we we played and and uh, you know we played in this basement in this old it was in uh, nevers france and you know it was like the night before we played i don't know like some legit serious show with other big bands right and then the next night here we are in the basement of a castle or something yeah. with no bathroom where you know uh you, you you shit and you throw leaves in it uh on the toilet seat and you know the the broken everybody broke bottles while we we're playing but it turned out like you know in retrospect we're like man that was like the greatest show on that tour <laughs> Yeah, we sold all we sold all the merch, and you know, people, you know, it was just uh, the funniest thing that you had to try to go to the bathroom with a, a trash can full of leaves. Yeah, it's that's rusty. But yeah, you know how tour it is. It's like it's like peaks and valleys. You know, 
It ain't it ain't all Friday nights in Chicago or Berlin. It's uh it's a fucking Wednesday somewhere, you know. Oh yeah, man, definitely. And sometimes in Europe <laughs> you play these like weird like places. Like it is kind of like um you know, like you said, peaks and valleys over in Europe. You know, like there's like you get the squats and some are better than others. Some some squats yeah. are like better than most venues here in the States, you know, and then you play like uh, the, some the, real the arena club. Oh yeah, you know, in Vienna. Yep, Vienna. That, that's yeah. like that's like that's like a crazy city. Vienna is amazing, dude. And and that that particular venue isn't it? Isn't it like several? It's like a compound, right? And there's like a couple of like spots. Like there's like a big room and then like a relatively yeah. small. Yeah, I've been there a couple times, and I think there's actually a third like smaller venue there too. I love. There's like right a there. venue in a church on that property too. Like you play inside the church. The church holds like. 200 huh uh, yeah really cool. it's pretty cool dude so yeah. when, when you guys played roadburn did you which did you play that that uh cathedral space or did you play like in the main yeah room? yeah i love that room it no was, it was it was great it was, I, I don't i mean it was one of the finer shows in my life to be honest um i think that, the whole uh, the whole i think roadburn is probably it's funny i was going to talk to you about this too it's like my favorite two festivals ever, and and you guys played both of them too, was Roadburn and Hellfest. So uh, yeah. let, let's get some of your reflections on both of those. They're both very different, but I think they're equally as awesome, but just totally different sort of vibes at both of those places. Yeah. Um, Hellfest, just as a fan, I mean, I, I, I thought everyone, you know, Slayer, Slayer, Behemoth, Sabaton, uh, Caius Lives, Those Are Skate Plan, you know, Carcass. We're, we're all giant Carcass fans. So, you know, we watched Carcass play Heartwork and we sat on the stage. So that was nuts. And then our show was great. We were in one of those crazy tents that's like, I don't know, bigger than any place we've ever played, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny though, the, the touring up to that though, we were like in. Portugal and Spain, and we were definitely roughing it. We were having a good time, but you know, summer, summer inland in Southern Europe is less than ideal. Yeah, um, you know, if, if I if I and and we kind of did it. It's like we were given the choice of like, well, you guys have done this a numerous times. Do so you want to try to do this and see how it goes? And we we're like, okay, and uh, yeah, it was an adventure for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we, we played some cool shows in like Malaga, Spain and Porto, Portugal on the way there you know a couple not a, not only a basement show we played the basement of a boat oh yeah in, in Porto Portugal. in Porto right yeah yeah I've, I've done yeah. that one too yeah mm-hmm. that's, that's that was crazy great right yeah it was fun man yeah eating I think they eating goat's head soup and yeah walk around the city yeah, that's beautiful. I love that's cool, man. It's like uh, I th- if I remember correctly, the area that that boat is docked in is kind of like a like a kind of like a ghettoy kind of area, sort of dangerous. Or I don't know, maybe I'm thinking of another uh, ghetto in another city. But uh, I think no, no, that, that was it. We, yeah, we were told that like the, that's a place that the police don't go because the gang controls it, like, and they are the law enforcement. And it's just like dudes on dirt bikes, 
Yeah, I remember being told that, definitely. So, yeah, it's the yeah. same place then. Yep. Yeah. Like yeah. That. I mean, what a beautiful city, too. Yeah, the Mediterranean's nice, man. I just, uh, like you were saying, summertime in the, in that part, because everyone's doing these gigantic summer festivals over there. And uh, if you're trying to tour in the summer, and actually really in any part of Europe, you're, you're, there's a lot of competing sort of stuff going on. You know, I mean, even trying to tour around these big festivals is always tough, too, because, like, you're over there, and, like, Metallica's also playing, and, you know, no one, you know it's hard to that do shows. And, you know, that they have, they have true, like, you know, Germany, it seems, there in the summer, no one's there. Yeah, uh, like they're all on, on holiday. You know, yeah. Yeah, they're all on vacation. Yep. So... They all go to the coast. They all go to Spain. They all go somewhere. I remember one time, uh, and that and that's the reason why if you're not doing festivals and you're just doing like a, a tour, they're always either in the early spring or in the fall, like when it's cold, you know? And, yeah, uh, when people are home. Yeah, people are home and they're ready to go out. Because I, I remember one time, like, we, we did a tour in Europe and um, we flew into Frankfurt and uh, we were getting off the plane and uh, we were going through customs and this fucking German guy with it, you know, was like, you know, talking about the band. Right. And uh, he's like, oh, well, you know, all the all the festivals already happened already. You know, like I was some kind of fucking asshole for for touring. <laughs> <laughs> fucking trying to fly. Like, I'm an asshole for going over there because it, all the summer festivals are over with. I'm like, I don't need uh, the abuse from you, man. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, thanks, guy. You know, like, uh, why don't you stamp my passport, all right? <laughs> Get the fuck out of yeah. here. <laughs> I don't need to hear this from you. <laughs> yeah, but back to Roadburn, though, man. That that's that's like probably one of the best run festivals. On on like, like it feels like the feeling I always get is they intentionally keep it at a certain level. You know what I mean? They intentionally want it to not be so completely out of control. And they, they have like a, a very, I mean, this, this is my impression at least that there's like this um, intention there to, to make it good for everybody. Like when you go to Hellfest, it's like total barbarism, man. Like I remember, like I didn't really go out much into the main show area, like where there's all the people. But I remember at the end of the night, there's like dudes, like people passed out and like just a sea of like humanity, man. And it's like, you know, you it's it's waves of human flesh, you know, and uh, it's like overwhelming somewhat, you know. That's that's a camping festival, too. You know, that's the giant, giant campground of the, you know, those guys are so, I shouldn't say guys and gals, that are just so wasted that you're like, your face in the dirt. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah, you know, get, it's shocking at first. And then, like, as you see the couple, you're like, they'll be all right. Yeah. This is part of it. This is what they do. That's like the European way, man. You know, they, they get crazy <laughs> in the summertime, you know. Uh, that's dangerous crazy, but, you know, it, it's obviously working for them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't judging. <laughs> One of the things that you and I have talked about over the years is that uh, you've taken more of a hands-on approach in producing the records, 
So on this new album, uh, did you, you know, did you guys uh, record some of it on your own, and was it all done in the studio? Like, how how did how the production work out? Um, well, drums are a, a thing because we didn't want to use sampled drums. Um, we just kind of got a purist mentality to that, which is probably good or bad. Um, I just think when you, when you listen to a playlist and everybody's using the same superior drummer sample. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, so I'd rather sometimes go for some happy accident, uh, at least sound wise with real drums. So we, we go to a guy named Jeff Forrest that he's done all our records. Um, he's most notably, he did the first, I think one or two of Blink 182's albums. And he's here in San Diego. He's been there forever. He's our friend. Um, you know, he's almost like a member of the band. And uh, so we, we let it run. Uh, we try to get a live track drums. And then everything else is just either done at home, uh, except, uh, you know, we, we piecemeal the whole thing together. Um, and then we come in and uh, kind of get together for the mix. Just a couple of us, though. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually, uh, you know, you can, I mean, right now with guitar sims and, you know, we want one live amp on there, but you can pretty much phone, not phone in, but you can do a lot of your raw tracks at home and make sure they're up to quality without spending the money. So. It's crazy how, uh, how technology has come around with that. You know, it's like, I, I, um. We, we do a lot of that stuff, too, with, like, DI guitars and stuff and uh, some live amps and things like that. But we always run DIs just to, if you want to reamp something yeah. or whatever. It's, it's pretty, pretty crazy, man. I mean, I know there's this company called Bias that makes uh, really, really sick, like, amp models. And I, I use those uh, for demoing everything now. I've, I've, uh, I, I've looked at that... Uh, that positive grid bias. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've used the, I think we might've used the, the plugin uh, on this album, maybe for the bass. Yeah. Uh, but I've, I've looked at that head, you know, they make a 300 watt head that's like six pounds. Yeah. I don't um, have that. I'm, I'm I just curious. Have, I have the, uh, the suite of plugins. Plugin. Yeah. And, and there's a thing which I use where you can either, it's like similar to those Kemper setups where it could sample your actual sound. And you could do it either lot like live with a microphone, or you can yeah. take a wave file from say a record that you might have already played on with your amplifier, import that wave into into the bias software, and they create your your sound. And then you from there, you just name that preset, and then like you can still tweak it, you know, whatever, add more gain or EQ it differently. It's you know, I gotta say, man, it sounds pretty legit. You know, it's uh, pretty pretty it, good stuff. It, it is. I mean, you know, what? I, in the live context, I think you want to see two vamps, mm -hmm. uh, or you want to you want to feel two vamps. Yeah. yeah but totally. you know, uh, in the studio, especially now, I mean, what you described is a, a, a frequency analyzer, and you know, those products they just incorporate a frequency analyzer, and it can just tell you what the graphic EQ is on what it's hearing. It's, it's crazy algorithm and it's fascinating. Uh, 
and I'm always totally blown away by it too. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. It, yeah, people, I, people are like, oh, those things suck. It's like, well, you're not using it right because you know the EQ works the same. Yeah, you know. I mean, so, people that say it suck probably don't even know what they're actually listening to half of the time because I know like there's a, a ton every of every record. Yeah, there's like a ton of records right now that are all, all done. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Well, especially in a certain in like the metal genre, for sure there is, you know. And, oh, yeah. and I mean, it's done. It sometimes producers, I think, can get a little lazy though, and you'll hear the same samples and the same sounds that are from record to record a lot of times, you know. And and they're just cranking yeah, out like, sure. yeah, you know, they're just like cranking out like the same old stuff. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean that's all good. It's almost like they. They've worked hard for those EQs, and now they're not changing them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly, you know, but, uh, you know, if that's, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't really have anything to say about that. If that's, like, the sound you want, good for it. Good for you, man. Go for it, you know, and, and it sounds pretty yeah. sick, so who am I, you know? And, um, yeah, yeah. But live, you know, for, I'm never going to not want to have, like, a, a head and, like, amps and, you know, cabinets and shit like that on stage. It's just... uh that's like a whole other animal, really, you know? You know, you see it during lineups of any band without naming names, but the guys that have those modelers and then somebody like, I don't know, Cannibal Corpse with just one Mesa Boogie uh, dual rectifier or triple rectifier. Uh, and, and they kind of blew everyone away mm -hmm. because of the two vamps, you know? Yeah. And it's like, he's got his sound, you know, he, he's, he's got his, uh, you know, his, his overdrive paddle and his, uh, triple rectifier and it hits you in the chest and you're like, why would you want to digitize it? Yeah. I mean, it, there, there's like a physical component to it that just is missing, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's funny. We, um, a few years ago we did, uh, part of a tour with, uh, with creator and, um, they, first day on that tour we played uh, in austin with them and and there was like where's all the amps you know <laughs> it was like we you know they were sound <laughs> they were like sound checking for like the entire fucking afternoon you know how like sometimes like bands like that are you, you show up and you load in and they're yeah, like yeah. you know they, they didn't eight, eight need eight hours later yeah the band actually didn't even sound check it was the techs they had they had guys that were like they didn't play through a single song. It was like the guitar guy was doing the guitar tech stuff and he was getting sounds and not a single drum like uh, sound check. Yet it still took them like five hours to do their, their sound check, you know. And they just walked out on stage and the whole thing is like, like the second or third day on that tour, uh, I'd actually start, you know, become sort of friendly with their sound guy and he was like, yeah, check it out. It's like there's this like R2-D2 looking rack of shit that was that's where their sound running, was coming from running you know? the show yeah running the runs show the light yeah well runs yeah the lights Probably. runs the guitars yeah runs the bass runs the runs the samples runs everything man yeah and um yeah i imagine if you're flying in from europe right and in instead of renting an entire back line if you just roll up one of these like Kemper setups, you're probably in good shape. You know, I mean, I could see it in that context. You know, you just put that shit in your carry-on bag, basically. I think it loses the the subtle um, improvisation of 
things going on when a, a band isn't playing uh, hyper to the sequencer, you know, yeah, or to the to a to a click, um, and it's all running the lights and everything. I don't know. Call me old fashioned. Well, no, it's definitely not for me. But I'm just saying, like, you know, if yeah. you're if you're in a band that was playing material from three decades ago and you're just doing it for a paycheck, consistent. like like creator, it's, yeah, consistent <laughs> yeah. as fuck. Just, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, you know. Fucking press press the click and let it go, and <laughs> <Same> every time. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's awesome. You know, it's funny. I'd like to hear the. I'd like to hear the. Did you take any pictures? I'd like to hear the whole story about that tour. Um, <laughs> I think I'm I sure, have pictures. From I'm that. sure it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. like it. It was a pretty interesting. Uh, it, it was actually these two tours that sort of uh, came together for a few days, and it was part of. It was that same year that we played at Ozfest, and we were on tour with uh, 1349 and Goat and then yeah. there was like a few cities where the creator tour was happening and um and there was a run of dates that we all did together and i, I wish i had like awesome things to say about those days but i don't so i'm not gonna say anything yeah yeah, yeah i could imagine <laughs> <laughs> we'll just uh i think i've said enough if you know what i'm saying so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh so the new the new band I mean, I think I've met one of, one of the new guys. So were, were these guys in any other local bands or bands I might have heard of or anything like that? This lineup has been together. So we just lost a member. We did. We haven't changed, uh, had a lineup change officially in about six years. But we've had a good, consistent six-year lineup uh, with this record. Um, no, no. Um, well, actually, uh, you know, the bass player and the drummer are kind of like local legends mm -hmm. uh, and played during the heyday of the, the San Diego scene in the 90s. Um, the, the drummer was the uh, Dion. He used to play in this uh, crazy band called Creedle, uh, which is kind of like jazz punk, shrill. I don't know. It was definitely cool and definitely innovative for the time. Uh, and the bass player, uh, Barney Burks, played with uh, SST artist uh, Sylvia Jancola, uh and toured Europe and, you know, played in the late 80s, uh, early 90s it, with all the SST bands, with Rollins bands, oh, with cool. Poison Idea, with Screaming Trees. So, uh, you know, when I was, I mean, I was just stoked to know these guys anyway. And that's the fact that they want to hang out and listen to me riff is even better. But, you know, especially with Barney, because Barney, Barney, I love them both. But, uh, but Barney, Barney, you know, he had been a road dog in the late 80s and 90s. So, you know, he, he played like Italy, Milan with the Rollins band on like the hard volume album oh, wow, or something, man. you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he's done some crazy, crazy shit uh, and seen some crazy shows, you know? And he, he you know, he was like at the original, uh, 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 James Addiction at this place called the Anti Club in LA, real kind of legendary punk club, Fender's Ballroom, all that stuff, the Bad Brains, you know, Agnostic Front, and all those shows happened. So he's got a bunch of good stories, and he played a bunch of those shows too. So, Damn. I mean, I, I mean, he's played a bunch. Like I said, 
you know, poison idea. He's got a bunch of stories of that. And then uh, Screaming Trees, you know, early Screaming Trees, SFT era, era. He's got a bunch of good stories about that. So, you know, they weren't amateurs. I was stoked to, to have them. That's uh, awesome. And then a- Alex, our guitarist, is just literally some dude I found. Not some dude, uh, but he's from Israel and he moved here. He's from Russia by way of Israel. Uh, and he moved here maybe five years ago. Uh, and just looking with people to jam with. And, and I was like, you know what? I'll never learn how to play lead guitar. Yeah. Because <laughs> it already would have happened. So I'm <laughs> like, you know, let's, let's give this guy a chance. And it's like, you know, like two practices and we're like, all right, you're the guy. And then now he basically is our in-house producer. Um, he knows a lot about production too. And, uh, you know, a lot about arrangements and he writes killer songs. So just like, like I always say, it's just one big fucking happy accident. And, yep. you know, it keeps rolling. That's awesome, man. The, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the screamy trees. I've been on this like huge, uh, sort of a re reexamination of that band's early records recently. Yeah. That's... Dude, don't even, don't even get me started. That's <laughs> all I listen to lately. Yeah, man. It's uh, especially those SST records. Those are the ones that are, um, not, not too many people even know about those, you know, and and that was that, some of their best material. That just a gem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I like, uh, I mean, I like all their stuff really. Yeah. Um, but I thought, Uncle Anesthesia. That was, I think I was in like senior year in high school. I saw him on one of those tours and it's, you know, I was floored. I was, I was floored just out of puberty. So, you know. <laughs> that, uh, Uncle Anesthesia, I think is probably, in my opinion, there, that's their, um, the zenith of their career in a lot of ways. It's like, it still had that same feel as the, um, as the older records, like the kind of psychedelic, you know, rock vibe to it, like garagey kind of vibe, but there was yeah. also this like ear towards um, catchiness, like really catchy, like hook laden songs and really good production too, which is like, cause it was on a major label. And uh, yeah. Know. Yeah. Bug Factory too. Those were all very, like for the time that those used to be like so underground, you know, I mean, all the SSDs in that era, at least I thought it was in a teenager. Yeah, dude. The SST stuff was like kind of uh, like the the thinking man's uh, punk rock music in some ways, you know? I was a huge fan of just, they were like one of those labels. It's like whatever they put out, I'm going to listen to, no matter what. Yeah, same with me. Yeah, I don't don't think they, I mean, maybe they put out some thinkers, I don't know. But it was shit. It was all pretty solid. Yeah, it was all pretty quality. But I, I would say that there was some stuff that was like a little bit too uh, out there for me at the time it came out. Maybe uh, like you know, like a band like Slovenly or something like that it was like it's cool, but yeah. it, it wasn't something that grabbed me. But like, you know, they, you can't fuck with them though. They had Soundgarden, they had Screaming Trees, they had obviously the older material like Black Flag, Saint Vitus, like it's classic shit. You know? Yeah, the so that's just, I was really into Sonic Youth Fister too. That was just, uh, you know, the, the punk schizophrenia. Those, those just, I mean, I saw him play back then too. And it was like, nothing's in tune, but this is an amazing song. Yeah. 
like, like, and that was the thing. Like, it was so abrasive. Was a, I, I mean, shit. Part of that song was played with a drumstick, you know, you know, over the pickup. <laughs> I've always been very reluctant to give props to Sonic Youth. Like, I. I, uh, I I recognize some of their material as being interesting and good, and I like some of their stuff. But by and by, I just get so annoyed by just their whole thing in some ways. You know, like I can't stand Thurston Moore's like interviews, and um, I just feel like the band itself uh, is is kind of like it's it's just something that I, I never really got into Sonic Youth. You know, they were they were just one of those. You know, uh, evil or whatever. Those were uh, those were records, definitely records in my youth, for sure. I, I they kind of mainstreamed. I of course became too cool for school. Yeah. So I haven't I haven't listened to any of their new stuff. Nah, man, I didn't even know if they have anything <laughs> that came out since the '80s. To be honest, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I saw somebody in a video in in an in orange beanie, and I was like, Nah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read I read Kim Gordon's book that came out a few years ago. I've always been a fan of specifically Kim Gordon, but uh, the music, uh, you know, like like I'm not really so into the band after a certain period, and even the period I like, I don't really like that much, really. You know, dude. Speaking of books, you know what? I just bought because you know, pandemic. I'm home. I'm actually reading books, like a. Like, uh, you know, I buy books all the time, but I don't fucking read them. Uh, but now I've been reading them. Is that uh, that one book you told me about uh, just goes out and murders in. Oh, yeah, man. Yep. About about your part of the country, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we both know Ron from Shannon Conflict. I yep. bet he knows those guys. <laughs> he probably does, man. I guarantee you he does, which is so <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like halfway through it. And it's just shocking. I mean, it's just, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. LA's deadliest punk gang. <laughs> I actually asked Ron, in. I asked Ron about it and, uh, and he was like, I, I'm going to paraphrase him. His, his take on it was like, you know, like, yeah, 50% of what that guy said was true, but the 50% that, you know, is true is fucking gnarly. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it's still still fucked up. It's yeah. exaggerated, but it's still fucked up. <laughs> even yeah, like even <laughs> even the not the not exaggerated parts are fucking insane. So anyone out there who wants to read about just violence, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> gang punk punk crew gang violence, uh, discos out, murders in. I think Feral House put that out, right? Yeah, yeah. Good old Adam Parker. Yeah, the intensity of those guys is uh, kind of like unbelievable really you know just how fucking into just doing violence those guys were you know i was uh in the 80s i was in high school so and, and around there you know Huntington beach long beach uh, i lived in tuscan so that stuff was always on the periphery you know there's there's a you go to shows and there'd be opposing gangs yeah like but it was it was L.A., so the gangs were definitely real gangs, you know. Like, yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't experience it, anything like that out here in the East Coast, man. I mean, there was there was crews, but my impression of L.A. in the '80s was there were straight up like gangs, like doing fucking gang well, shit, you know. 
there, well, there was there was gangs in those communities, and then there was the gang members who liked punk rock. Yeah, that's, and that's all it was. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You know? That's what I was meant. Yeah, yeah, and this is pre L.A. pre riots was just a sketchy place. I mean, sketchier than it, it was post. It's like the the riots. Just I don't know if everybody got it out of their system. But I lived there during. I lived in Long Beach during it, and it was like afterwards everything felt better which is weird which is a weird thing to say because they burnt the whole place down Damn. you know uh, i mean it was uh it was tense <laughs> I, I don't know if i don't know if there's any data on crime rates getting lower after a riot because like a, a purge concept <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the purge definitely happened during that era <laughs> Yeah, I was terrified of LA when when I was you know I was in high school in the eighties, and I was like you know you'd read about Los Angeles and you'd see you know things on TV and you know you, there'd be bands like Suicidal Tendencies and Black Flag and things like that and you're like oh man this is like I hope I I hope I never go to LA man I'm probably gonna get killed if I go there or like you know abducted or some shit you know or killed in a drive by shooting or something but. It's, you know, it's the same way that like my my uh, my parents or my aunt and uncle who live in Jersey. They're like, "How do you live in California? Like mudslide, fires, and drive by shootings?" It's like, <laughs> no, you know. Yeah. And and I have my own preconceived notions of uh, Jersey itself. You know that I know that I know having been there several times are pretty much untrue. You know. Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest, man, like Southern California is probably, I mean, actually all of California is probably my favorite part of the country, man. I, um, I even like Northern California quite a bit. Oh, hell yeah. I, I know why they stopped here, man. It rules. (laughs) 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 Not so into the Northwest, but I like, uh, I like California though. Not a big fan. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I do love those cities, but man, who could? I mean, weather's a huge thing. It 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 it'll rain like thirty days in a row. Yeah, and just know, dealing just dealing with that. Yeah, it's that's uh, mm-hmm. that's a heavy uh, heavy scenario to deal with. You know, with yeah. all this uh, shelter in place bullshit going on, it's hard to ask. But do you guys do you guys have any plans for the future with the band or anything like that? Well, well, we have another record written, so we're just pushing on. <laughs> you know, we, we got like 11 new songs and we, we practice, you know, with masks on right now. I'm going there now. So we're just going to keep rolling and see what's offered. But in the meantime, we're going to use this to, to create uh, while we still have the spark because if, you know, if you don't feel like doing it anymore, that's that's the real the real task of doing this to begin with. If you don't feel like creating something you want to hear, then get the fuck out of here. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. You're not doing anyone and, any and favors. So, yeah, exactly. So you know, um, I don't want to hear my old shit. That's you know, I, I really don't. After I after I push forward to something, I'm like, ah, that stuff sucks. I can do better, and that's what moves this whole thing forward, for good or bad. You know, but yeah. that's our plans now. Like we're recording on Saturday, 
Really? So, Damn. It. Yeah. So fuck it. <laughs> you know, we got to do, uh, you know, like two, we're going to demo two songs. And usually our demos, at least the drums, turn into keepers. Huh. And then That's we'll, pretty cool. You know, uh, we'll either edit our way out of the mess or start again, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bobby, thanks for joining us, and um, I appreciate it. And uh, you guys, everyone, keep an eye out for the brand-new 16 record. Thank you so much, man. Totally appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Yeah.